All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel, and with me is my co-host Robert. We run ActualAnarchy.com and ReadRothbard.com. And today we're going to talk about the movie The Breakfast Club, which coincidentally enough, the day we're recording, March 24th, this movie is the plot is uh, stated to be March 24th, 1984. So a little bit of uh, synchronicity there. How you doing, Robert? Nerd. Oh, my God. I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, been a long day. Took the kids out to the aquarium. Had a uh, fairly fun time looking at the Nemos and then going to a restaurant nearby and eating the Nemos. So it was so cool. You go north of that aquarium? There's Northwest. a... There, there's one uh, in the town nearby us. It's, it's by no means a uh, large aquarium. It's, it's like one room, but you know it's got fish. Kids like fish. Sweet. It's a fish tank. Dope. So Doug yeah, Daniel. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about that aquarium story. I know we're totally um, train wrecking this thing here. Oh, starting off good, getting it off to the right foot. Um, yeah. So I just finished watching this movie, this classic classic Brat Pack movie, and you've been watching it over the past couple of days, is that correct? I, I have been in bits and pieces, and we have also have a special guest who has been watching the movie probably all in one go, I would imagine, but he's taking copious notes, and we'll be introducing him in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to remind everyone that we are on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, and all those other places. We also feature our podcast on actualanarchy.com, and we've got about 400 articles on there now. Uh, we're always posting new content, so please do check it out. Click on any of the Amazon links and all that other good stuff. It helps support what we do. And if you've got any comments or complaints or letters to the editor, suggestions for future movies for us to talk about, or if you'd like to be a guest uh, on the show or even write for the site, reach out to us at... Um, my email is daniel at readrothbard.com, and Robert is robert at readrothbard.com. Slash date invites, slash just general fan mail, adoration. We accept all that stuff. And also, if you'd like to trash us, challenge us, questions, comment, everything's welcome. We welcome it double time. Welcome. Yeah, we'll welcome it. We may ignore it, but we will welcome it. <laughs> you know, no promises. A positive obligation, but uh, we, we we appreciate it. Right, and and speaking of welcoming, I'd like to welcome our special guest. His name is Drake Lundstrom, and he is working on a project uh, that's not quite ready for prime time, not quite ready to be announced just yet. But look for big things coming from him soon. But he's a, a friend of ours. We talk on Saturday nights about uh, economics and other nerd type stuff. He's also a member of the Tom Woods Elite Group and is a copious uh, contributor there. And Drake, are you there, my friend? 
I am. And I just want to give everyone a heads up that when they say they accept criticism and challenges, they're very serious because I have promised to give them a couple of them here on the show. Love it. So, Drake, before you get to you the uh, challenges for us, throwing the gauntlet down, uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit, of, little bit about who you are, how you uh, came to be a uh, libertarian or ANCAP or whatever you self-identify as today, Walmart toaster, whatever. And um, helicopter. Attack <laughs> helicopter. That's, that's perfect. For millennials. Well, I'm, I'm still one. I guess you can't ever not be a millennial because it's when you're born, not how old you are. But I digress. So actually, I'm really happy because I once got featured in a Tom Woods email about my story from libertarianism. So it's a cool one. So my dad's from Sweden, which is a bit of a more socialistic country. And he grew up there, kind of really didn't mesh well, tried to start companies, and they kept failing, partially because of government regulation. And he eventually learned more about capitalism, read um, Atlas Shrugged, and was like, man, I literally never heard of you that said making money could be a good thing for people before. Eventually, he comes to the U.S., meets my mom. They move back to Sweden for a bit, and then they end up living in the U.S. permanently. And he starts another company here and is successful. Eventually, kids, I have a younger brother, older sister. And I had always been like a kind of moderate Republican, the worst of both worlds, where I think the minimum wage is bad for business. So we need to raise it slowly so it doesn't hurt them too much. That kind of, or a little bit of foreign interventionist and all that. I'm going to college at University of Cincinnati. I see a random dunk tank. On the side of the walkway, I go over. It says club tabling that I'd never heard of before called Young American Liberty. And I'm like, hey, that book on the table, that's Atlas Shrugged. I've heard of that from my dad. And they're like, okay, have this coffee. And there's a flyer in it for the meeting time. I go there. Um, that spring, they host the state convention. I get to see Tom Wood speak and had no idea who he was. It's kind of <laughs> funny that. I get to see him when I don't know who he is. Now that I really know who he is and want to meet him, I haven't been able to make it out to any time, any event he's been at since then. That summer, I start listening to Tom Wood's show. Um, by January, I'm caught up in the full archives. It was only around five, 600 back then. And since then, powered through most every other libertarian podcast, all like, three hours a day at 1.5 speed or so and started reading more books and self-taught economics, came president of the Young America's Liberty chapter and doing lots of libertarian things. And now I'm currently working an internship in Japan. So it's not the 24th, it's the 25th. And I guess we missed breakfast club day. Oh, well. Well, you know, it, it is Saturday for you, right? And that the is movie correct. is... Based on March 24, a Saturday in 1984. So we are actually March 24 and Saturday, but in 2017. So it works out. Yeah. Violating laws of physics can bring you actual anarchy. Whatever it takes. <laughs> so. Okay. Oh, last thing. I promised I would bring this up. Yes, do it. At the end of every episode. You have this thing with chipmunks, like we are the chipmunks, C-H-I-P-M-U-M-K, guaranteed to brighten your day. What the heck is that from? I've listened to every single episode of all the way back to Redraw Card, and I have no idea what that is. You are a millennial. 
He is a millennial. He doesn't know what this is. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, man. 1980s. Like, which Alvin and the Chipmunks? Is that like... I've so there's a seen... series of CG movies out like these years, probably in the past, what, five, six years, there's been a series of yeah. those things. But back in the day, in the 80s, what they're basically based on was a cartoon with Alvin, Simon, Theodore, and then there were the Chipettes, as I want to say. There were yeah, three... Okay. I've seen Girl, like, half of, of like some of those episodes, like they occasionally flash across TV, but yeah, never watched that. You're not missing anything. But, <laughs> but, then, but then why is it on the show? I'm still like, I don't know. That's a good question for Daniel to answer. Well, you know, during one of our early recording sessions, uh, Robert broke out into song and he also had told me that he doesn't listen to our shows. So I put two and two together and said, all right, I'm going to take him singing and throw it at the end of the show as a little Easter egg. I was only going to do it one time, and then I just kept doing it. So it's on, you know, like 50 shows now. Yeah. Wait a minute. So it's there was me like... singing? Yeah, you should really listen to our show, man. I'm on the damn show. I don't need to listen to it. Besides well, listening to yourself also... is cringy. It's also like after the credits. So like half the people will, when listen to shows like skip the end credits. Like I know I do it for the Peter Schiff show now because his end credits are like two minutes long. Mm. Yeah. So we've got our outro music and then it, it blends right after that. So yeah, if, if people are like, Oh, there's their crappy outro music and they turn it off or skip to the next, you know, decent podcast. Uh, they don't hear this, but I'm sure that a few people have like Drake. He's he's heard it um, probably 50 times now because, yep. uh, as you said, you've listened to a bunch of libertarian and, and uh, you know, anarcho-capitalist podcasts, and we are one of those. So I appreciate you being a listener of ours. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of awesome, you know, <laughs> to actually know that someone is listening. So thank you for doing that. And also know because when I was listening, like just going through two hours of it a day, I was constantly sending you just my response to every single episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sweet. Sweet. So do we have um, anything actually, else before we get going here? I think I'm going to do the other thing before we start the movie because it makes more sense or it works better before we start the movie. Okay, do so, it. So, pop quiz. Oh, shit. I'm going to describe a place and you're going to guess what it is. So this is going to be a lot of descriptions of one place and... After the end, you can guess. All right. So wasn't there a movie or something like that where somebody challenged someone else and said, pop quiz, assholes? And they were well, like, picking pop up quiz hot shot is in Top Gun, is their call. Oh, um, that might be yeah. that might be what I'm thinking about. All right. Top Gun's one that we, that we could do. Never watched it, actually. Inverted? <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a fun movie, even though it's a total uh, military... Uh, Suck off fest. <laughs> yeah, that happens it's, sometimes. It's a big, uh, it, it was a big recruiting movie, you know. A lot of people saw that and joined up with the Navy after that. That's actually funny because you get that with different, especially TV series. Like after, um, uh, what's it called? That CH something Miami, like the crime scene one. There was a dramatic overabundance of crime scene investigators, people going through that in college. The next few years later, mm-hmm. or like after Law and Order, there was like an excess of lawyers. It's like when one TV show was becoming really popular, five years down the road, there'd be too many people that got that major in college. 
Yeah, so now they can't get jobs or or the yeah. pay goes down or whatever. That's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> so there needs to be more shows about mathematicians and scientists and just basically STEM field stuff as opposed to uh, police as an engineer, I don't really want the competition, so... You gotta love competition, man. It makes, it, makes you better. Yeah, but I make more money this way. <laughs> it's your value, buddy. True, true. Okay, so you're still not going to weasel out of this quiz, though. All right, okay. do it. Wait, so, wait. Do each of us get a guess, or is it like first one to answer correctly wins? Um, the, the yeah, and, and is it like it's at the end? There's a there's a lot of descriptions, and there's just like the answers at the very end, and then I guess you each get a guess. Right, Can so I ring you like, in any time, or do you have to wait till the end? Yeah, you have to wait till the end. Okay, so this, it's not like twenty questions or anything. Okay. No, this is very different. This is just weird. This is just me being weird. Because I debate Sounds people. Good. I love it. So I had this one running through my head for a bit, and then yeah, yeah. Um, we, I can do the backstory on it later, but that we'll we'll do the backstory on it later during the movie. Okay, we we do weird. We like weird. So <laughs> let, let's do this. So this place is full of gangs and cliques. This place is known for people first experiencing drugs or joining gangs there. Um, this place is very strict rules with those in charge even restricting how and when you can communicate. This place that you spend most of the day cooped up with, with a very limited amount of time outdoors and exercising. This place is well known and shown in film for its cafeterias being known as the main socialization time, people being shunned and fights. This place almost always is at least one cop on the premises. This place is said to prepare people for life outside of it, but does a terrible job of it. The government has created regional monopolies for this institution, and you're a forced into a group of people, whether or not you're compatible or have anything in common. Workers at this institution have a massive public union that has more to say about how this institution works than you ever will. Misbehavior increases the amount of time you stay at this institution, with one of the worst penalties being them isolating you for a period of time. Most people view this institution as one of the single most important aspects of governments that needs heavy reform, but should be handled publicly, and they aggressively resist privatization. This model has been nearly unchanged for a century, and starting in the 70s, um, this institution has been more nationally controlled, dramatically increased amount of money spent on them, and finally, this institution has been especially harmful to inner city use. Okay, I, I see some nice parallels there. I, um, yeah, I could have buzzed in like, like five minutes ago. Okay, <laughs> there's yeah. only I think there's only one point that guarantees that you're talking about a, a school system as opposed to a prison system. And that was with what there's only one cop on duty at any given time. I said at least more. At least. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you should get a guess. Okay. So, so Daniel, are you going with a school and I'm going to go with prison or vice versa? <laughs> are we both going with, with the school? Well, we're, we're both right. I mean, one is a day prison and one is an all the time prison. Yep. That was, that was it. Just seeing if you guess school or prison. Cause I don't see that many differences anymore. Not yeah, no, there really aren't. <laughs> except they let you out to go home at night, but even yeah. then they give you homework to do. Yeah. But yeah, this movie details a lot of that, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this a lot more. But anyway, let's let's uh, give a brief rundown of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Breakfast Club. It's a 1985 John Hughes movie, starring the Brat Pack, so called. Uh, because they appeared in a bunch of movies together, 
not all together, but um, in this one, they pretty much all showed up. It was Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, and Ali Sheedy, and they play different archetypes of high school students. There's like a jock, a nerd, an outcast, a burnout, and then like a preppy popular girl, and they're all in trouble for various reasons that we learn throughout the movie. But they're all coming to serve Saturday detention. And it's a movie about getting to know each other and friendship and maybe a little bit of romance. And uh, did I leave anything out, Daniel? There's like an authoritarian principal guy. Um, there's a bunch of like respect sort of paid to this res- principal guy. It's a bit tongue in cheek. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of threats going on, but, uh, that's about, that's about all that really happens in the movie. It it all takes place in this like library and there's a drop off scene and then there's a picking up scene at the end of it. And they kind of run around in the halls a little bit. But other than that, it's, it's just them. It's a big kind of a dialogue piece. You could really see this movie as kind of a, it could have been done as a play and there's not like any kind of like chase scenes or anything like that. But, um, yeah, gentlemen. So, Robert, you watch this movie, and, and you're like, I don't see a lot of meat on this bone here. But uh, Well, there was one thing. I mean, there's all kinds of threats going on in the movie. The, um, the principal is basically threatening these kids to behave a certain way. You won't talk. You won't sleep. You have to write this essay or else. He never. All he can really threaten them with is more jail time, um, which there's a scene with the burnout guy. His name is Bender. Um, played by Judd Nelson, where he just keeps giving him more time on his prison sentence to come in the next Saturday and the next Saturday. and Two months go by, and he's going to have his ass there. Um, and then the boys, like the kids, threaten each other, and there's sort of a fight that takes place. Um, the main thing that I kind of honed in on, uh, other than the idea that these kids are essentially prisoners, um, there was one, one time Anthony Michael Hall, like, makes a fake ID because he's, like, the nerd guy. He's like, why did you make a fake ID? He's like, to vote. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, was... oh, the worst idea. First, the worst reason to ever make a fake ID is so that you could vote. Gross. But I'm sure you saw lots of things, and I know our guest has a whole bunch of notes for this movie, so I'm sure we'll get into all kinds of fun stuff. But what did you, what did you see mostly in the movie, Daniel? Yeah, just in general. I mean, I, I, I kind of was taken back to uh, an earlier time and place in watching this movie because I've, you know, seen it a bunch of times. It's one of those classics from the 80s, John Hughes. You know, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off and 16 Candles, Better Off Dead, all that stuff. And I think at the time I, I looked at the Judd Nelson character, uh, what's his name, Bender, as kind of being yep. like the, uh, the anti-hero, but, you know, essentially the hero of, of the movie and the authoritarian principal guy, you know, he gets caught by the janitor later on, like going through the super secret confidential stuff and kind of gets caught and tries to play it off. Uh, but he knows he's caught. So he's up, he's up to no good. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of identity stuff going on in this and there are a lot of threats. Like you said, uh, I think it's, it's kind of funny that the threat from the principal or is he even the principal? But anyway, the, the, the authoritarian guy uh, is 
All right. So you were bad in in prison in school. So you're going to get more school, more more time at school as your punishment for being bad at school. And of course, Bender, you know, gets into it with him and like, say one more word. You got another week. And he says one more word, and you know, he gets like two months worth of of uh, prison time. And I just gotta ask, like, at what point do you just not go? Like, why is he still going to this school, man? I don't get it. Well, there, there is a, oh, school is mandatory by law under the government, and there have been instances of them either arresting students, taking the truancy court, or just taking away from their parents and putting them in foster care, which that's, don't even get me started in the foster care program. That one just, I think it's like a three times higher chance of the child being beaten, raped, or killed than if they stay with their supposedly abusive parents. Just all kind of problems with that. Although Tom Woods has a great episode with someone from the um, Child Protective Services speaking out about how horrible the program is. But essentially, people, you can be arrested for not going to school. It's actually interesting because that sprung up with the KKK that were really... So they're not just racist, but they're also like religiously discriminatory. And all the people being educated at that time were Catholics in their private schools. And they were worried that one day the Catholics are going to be the only educated elite in the U.S. So you need to force all the Protestants to go to schools to keep up, which is just a interesting historic hmm. tidbit. I like it. Not the thing that you said, but I like that you brought that up, and I like oh, no, to learn I, things. I appreciate it. I was just listened to copious amounts of information and regurgitated all, so I have so much because it's just like I kept seeing scenes. Like it's not that the overall the overall movie is very simple, but there are so many scenes just had these little tidbits that were just perfect, like the opening scene. Um, you hear the line, what is it? Pull up the script of the movie. Um, you see us as you want to see us in the simplest, most convenient terms. And the first thing in my head, identity politics and Hillary Clinton. Mm. Just, cause I mean, that's how they saw it. That's how they see it. I know I have friends in my y'all chapter that are black, that are gay, that are native Pacific Islander, that are things that literally people on the left like you're betraying your people you're an uncle tom hey you you are of this minority group so we own you and should be able to say where your vote goes right you are this so therefore you must believe this and support that or else. all over yeah. the place right it's just interesting to see it was going on back then interesting to see these people which are very much supposed to represent the rebellious like kind of left that are for freedom and see how they are the complete opposite right now. Just 180 degree flip flop. Mm-hmm. Like the college students are the principal in the situation, which is just a little sad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the left has become much more authoritarian in what you're allowed to think, what you're allowed to say. Um, just policing language, policing, not so much behavior. It's just like, how you say things if you if you're not nice about saying things or if you have some kind of opinion that's not on the three by five card as Tom Wood says, then yeah, you will absolutely be attacked. Um, um 
So I'm actually, I'm on a college campus, the University of Cincinnati, and we were doing a giant free speech event with Human Rights Liberty and had just this giant ball we were rolling around that people could just write whatever they want on. So it got covered in like anything from prayers and love you and love, peace, have a good day, whatever. And then lots of, this was also during the election time. So there was lots of anti-Trump stuff on it. And then we had some other fun stuff, like the president of the Young Republicans Club. That's actually, he's a bit of a Liberty Republican, although not all the way there yet. He signed it. Uh, he said, the wage gap is a myth signed with his name and like affiliations for people to contact him, which was funny. And then we got <laughs> some like dildos covered in swastikas and some swear words. And then we had like a group of little, maybe third graders that were touring the campus that like swarmed it and then just crossed out a bunch of the swear words because they're no, no words. It's just funny and adorable. (laughs) What was interesting was one of my club members is also part of like an LGP group on campus and some of her friends came up to her and some of them were very like supportive and loved it. Like, yeah, free speech is great. Some of her friends to the LGP group said, Hey, by supporting free speech, you're supporting like racists and homophobes and everything. I know you're not one because I know you personally, but how could you be supporting these evil people? Supporting free speech? Supporting free speech is evil now? Yes, supporting racists and homophobes and et cetera. That is free speech. You support free speech. Well, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between supporting someone's right to say a thing and whether you agree with that thing, right? You can still disagree with someone, but still support their right to say it. Well, that's the thing is that the left kind of I'm, I'm stealing I'm stealing and butchering this quote from someone, but the left sees words as violence and weapons. They like red, like microaggression. Someone, yeah, they see you giving someone free speech as you giving them a gun. Kind of <laughs> right, because I'm assaulting them with my words because they're in their safe space and yep. they can't handle my opinion. <laughs> you know, that's also what I see like <laughs> silence at like if you stay silent. Well, silence is the kind of speech, so you're also committing violence. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I was in college, and Robert and I went to college together, but but uh, there was a girl that uh, my girlfriend was friends with, she went to high school with, and, and we all went to the same college together. And she had said at one point, somebody, you're raping me with your words. And at oh, yeah. the time, I thought, that's hilarious. I'm going to, like, use that because it's funny. Um and this was 20 years ago, so I think this pre She was not joking, this. right? No, she wasn't joking, but I don't think she she meant um, like she was actually being raped. I think she just meant like, oh, you're being very offensive. Yeah, but okay. I think now, 20 years later, they literally think that words can rape people, or words are assault, words are violent, or can lead. And I agree, words can lead to violence, right? Um it, well, it can be confrontational, but that doesn't mean that you need to curtail speech. And I think that when we were growing up, that the left was a lot more tolerant uh, in in my view of it than they are now. I think that they've gone way, way beyond any um, non-emotional thinking, right? They're strictly emotional at this point, and yet they think that they're they're being factual and looking to experts and citing sources and reading articles and all of these things. So they think that they're the smart ones and we're just the dumb heathens who don't understand anything. And we're racist, bigoted, white men, fucking white men 
so we can't be possibly right or know anyone else's experience and all of these other things. And I'm just kind of going on this tangent rant here, but I'll just throw that out there and do yeah. with what you wish. So, well, back when we were going to school, there weren't these social justice classes and social justice actual, you know, like studies. I mean, we had, well, you could take like women's studies back then, maybe like women's history, maybe, or black history or something like that. But these days there are actual social justice classes you could take, feminist classes you could take. This is where it's coming from. They get this intellectual cover and they feel justified in their hatred and their violence and setting and bigotry and all this business that they claim to be against. But Drake, what were you going to say? Um, couple things off of that. So actually now I should have written it down because now I'm forgetting one of the two things. And yeah, totally on. Okay. So one of the things is actually going back to the movie, the underwear under the desk scene. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah. That would have gotten the movie boycotted these days because he's just kind of messing with her in this way that's half a joke. He's a bit crazy to be honest so can't be 100 percent sure it's a joke but right so so let me uh let me set the scene for anybody who hasn't seen this movie in a long time maybe the, yeah you yeah. know it's an old classic movie and you don't necessarily care it's spoiled so um judd nelson who plays bender is supposed to be locked in this like a broom closet or maintenance closet by the principal and he has escaped and he is back in the library and he's hiding underneath the desk when the principal comes in. And Molly Ringwald is sitting at the, the desk with Emilio Estevez, the jock guy and the preppy girl. And Judd Nelson is, has his head between her legs as she's wearing a skirt. And we get a full on shot of what he gets to see. And, um, so that's, that's what happens. Yeah. And this was kind of like the left was more sexually open, more kind of messing around and stuff. It was kind of a joke back then. And that would be, I guess, I, I honestly do consider it a little bit inappropriate, although he was kind of be playing a messed up character, so it makes sense in context. But right now, that would be never allowed to be shown. But what I really see interesting off of this is the left constantly talks about rape culture and how people are, if you make any kind of joke, about rape or something, you're normalizing it, making it more okay. Even though I would say just, hey, I make jokes about AIDS, I'm Jewish, I make jokes about the Holocaust, I make jokes about all kinds of terrible things. These jokes are how people cope with things, how you get better with them. And to say this one bad thing, can't have jokes, is completely arbitrary and I'd say even harmful. But digressing back, um, because they're saying that Everything you do is rape. You can rape someone with their eyes. They're saying that when a rape case happens, you always have to believe the woman, even though you have more and more cases of false accusations getting people kicked out of universities and things. I can no longer read an article that says a woman was raped or assaulted and believe it because I have seen, like, do you guys know the Duke lacrosse scandal? Sure. Yeah, there's actually a great documentary out on Netflix just going through how completely just it was all a lie. The whole entire thing was made up. And the, and what happened was there was one attorney that he was like an elected appointed attorney and he wanted to keep to get back in office. 
So he kept pushing this case because this case was so popular and help him win his office back. Like it's mm. just there there's it was one woman who who accused them who just every single thing possible went wrong. They were still um essentially tried in the court of public opinion. Or you have like there's tons of cases. I can send you links to a couple of them to put in the show notes. Like there's a fun one that Reason showed where the woman herself said, We have been in a relationship for a long time, it's completely consensual. There's text, there's voice recordings, there's everything possible. But because one other person said she might be being abused, he got kicked out of the university. Wow. And just, yeah, all kinds of crazy things with that. And because of all that, people can't look at rape and say that it definitely happened, it's definitely bad. Like they are the ones that are making the, they are making the word have less meaning. And the oh, absolutely. Right. Of it. Or also the same thing, I I was kicked out of a communist group that I was in to practice debating with them um, because I made jokes about being triggered and other stuff because they decided, hey, we're going to stop allowing triggered jokes because it's offensive to people that has have PTSD because it's a legitimate, a legitimate condition and you're making it seem like it's just a joke. And while I do understand and respect that, if that's how they want to treat it, it's their side that made triggering into how you feel because Milo wants to speak in your campus or what there was that guy that had like, I have short term PTSD because I shot an AK 47. That was really loud. There was, someone that said that? About. There was <laughs> some guy, he took it to like a uh, gun range and shot it. And then was like, when describing how awful it was, he was like, I have like short term PTSD. <laughs> he self diagnosed self saying yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. You yeah. When you, when, you, <laughs> when you broaden the definition to mean literally anything, you, you weaken actual cases. Yeah, for so, sure. Um, and, and there's so many words that have evolved over time because whatever the, the older word used to be is now offensive, so they come up with some new word, right? Oh, yeah. And then over time, even the new word then becomes tainted and then they have to come up with yet another new word. And so there's so many of these things that used to be derogatory or, or, or benign and then they become derogatory and they replace them with another benign word and that becomes derogatory and it's this endless cycle. So there's so many words that you can't say anymore. So you can hardly describe anything uh, about an individual there, any there longer without offending someone. That said that, um, saying homosexual marriage is now the offensive way to say it instead of gay or lesbian marriage. Yeah, these like, words that's the opposite believe. of what it was five years ago. Completely opposite. They're just switching around. To make it's. I think that Vox Day has said some good things on this. Although I don't, I don't like him on a lot of things. But he's very good on PC. Essentially, they constantly change the wording because they want to be able to identify who is and isn't part of their group and who does and doesn't think right. And if their wording becomes mainstream, if they succeed, like there's that big campaign to get rid of the, the word retarded, retard used in schools, like as soon as they succeed, well, how do you know who's really a social justice warrior if everyone says it correctly? So you need to think of a new word to be able to figure out who's right and who's wrong. So it's their, it's their secret handshake. That's pretty yep. cool. I mean... It's it's a good tactic, <laughs> you know. Stalinsky's rules for radicals. Yeah, that guy's a monster. Also, so anyway, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry, you go first. No, I, I was going to pull back. I was going to bring it back to the movie. I was going to go back to the movie and see, oh, based yeah. on what you were saying, Drake, um, <laughs> if if Molly Ringwald was indeed raped by Judd Nelson in that scene. If I can imagine like a, um, a social justice warrior evaluating this movie. And since they get together later in the movie, they this is like a romance for them. Then what, she's like, has her own internalized misogyny that allows her, or she just... Um, some sort of Stockholm syndrome where she identifies with her rapist and then they get together towards the end. Oh no, it's, it's patriarchy telling her that a woman's place is subservient and that men with power are good and men being aggressive are good and toxic masculinity being forced into her as being attractive. Uh, uh, yeah. So she goes after the guy that takes what he wants and is a bad boy. <laughs> That's toxic masculinity. Toxic All right, masculinity. So, there you go. Have you Honestly, guys heard about? We need bingo. We need like a bingo sheet of all the words. That's right. Oh, it would be endless. It would be endless. Uh, have you guys seen this article that came out recently that, that basically argues that a man who enjoys. Oh, the one. Yeah, yes, enjoys giving that. a girl uh, an hour orgasm, that somehow makes him a bad person and that he is uh, anti feminist, anti woman. Uh, he, he's being greedy or, or evil. Is go, ahead explain, go, go ahead and explain it. Is, is a woman who enjoys giving a man orgasm also evil and greedy? Oh, no. Oh, okay, so this is, just, this is pure sexism then. Okay. Well, well no, it's, it's, they make a slightly more nuanced argument to try to hide the craziness. So the okay. argument is, goes sort of as follows. So men already have more orgasms, and that's kind of just wrong by itself. But There now is an orgasm gap, gap, but I wouldn't say, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, and... But now there's a big focus on, like, making sure the female feels good, which they consider as good. But the way people focus on this is masculine-centered, where they, where the guy kind of feels a masculine, like, achievement pleasure for making his significant other feel good, which turns this into another, like, kind of toxic masculinity thing. <laughs> and it also... We can't do anything. We can't do anything right as long as you feel about it in a masculine way, you're wrong. So just and masculinity is wrong. Yes. Okay. You're I'm getting just it. wrong for being a guy. I get it now. It makes yes. sense. I am evil, piece of shit, and I'm wrong about everything. Gotcha. But, and, but, but, and then on but, top of that, but, there's another thing but, after but, that. But hold on, guys. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You're wrong for having a penis. But true, you, you can self-identify to not have one at any time. You're gender fluid. So I don't understand how they square this crazy circle when someone can be whatever the fuck they want to be at any given point just on a whim, and yet all men are evil because they have equipment that women don't have. Well, did you, Daniel, did you see that? um, They have been consistent sometimes. There was an, uh, I don't remember what the school was, but some prestigious school that I believe it was a private girls-only school and they had like a student body president or the head of, I think it was one of the diversity groups on campus, and they were transgender from female to male, and students started protesting when they started transitioning because they said, hey, now you're just another white male, you shouldn't be in charge of anything about like equality, or you shouldn't be in a leadership position because that's just more white men taking over. But you right? were a woman. <laughs> yes. So, so sometimes they're consistent. They're just well, consistent did you guys- 
Did you guys see the, um, there's a video Baring did a couple of weeks ago that was about, um, uh, a writer who proposed in, I think it was in Canada that there was going to be like a white man tax, that they up the tax if you are a white man. But if you're not, if you self identify as like a woman or a trans, then you could get out of the tax. But there was some kind of, uh, I want to say there was like some sort of a genuine test. Like you had to like, really affirm it or you had to be like, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something really funny and stupid. Well, I saw the article and I wasn't, the site's a bit weird. So it was like kind of a half joke site, but I'm not entirely sure. It, it was just a really weird site. Like they had okay. a lot of articles on it. So I'm not, I, I, I know the test. Curious. I know the test. Oh, there's a test. I know okay. the test. The test is they strap you up to like a lie detector type thing where they can measure your pulse rate and your, you know, if you're sweating or whatever, if you're basically if you're charged up or you're turned on at all, and they show you a picture of Justin Trudeau, <laughs> male or female doesn't matter because that's just a construct, right? But if you get turned on by that person, I don't know what to identify him as. Socialist. They. If you get they, turned on by they. Him. By by, by, by Jem socialist. Then you. Don't pay the tax. If if he turns you on, I just oh man, I offended him. Ah, wow, you just insulted him with your words. <laughs> oh, you did too. Damn it! It's so it. hard doomed. not to. We're all doomed. You know, I'm five, I'm five miles from Canada. They're gonna come down and get me. God damn it! All right. So anyway, Drake, explain the rest because I I cut in with my my no, total, no, you know the, the test there. Okay, so. Because, so men feel achievement from having their significant others feel better. So that makes it masculine, which is bad. And it can also, here, where is it? Um, and it also makes it so that men feel pressured to have to give women orgasms, which perpetuates the idea that women are just passive and men have to give them things and take charge, and it also makes women feel like they have to fake it, all of which is evil and sexist. So you have to not just do what we say, but you have to do what we say because of the reason we want you to do it and in the way we want you to do it. So, so following orders following orders is wrong. Like, like fulfilling your wildest fantasy of you tell us what to do and we do it is now wrong. Yes, because you didn't do it with the right mindset. Thought police. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Well, although, I'm going to throw it back to the movie, because we never did, like, one of the earlier scenes is interesting. So do you guys remember when, uh, what is it? Bender shut the door. Yes. So what he Take said, a screw out of the door, and then he goes and sits down, and then the principal comes in, and he's like, who shut the door? And nobody rats on him. Yeah, but he, here, I've, I pulled up a full script of the movie, so I can pull up quotes. So, okay. Bender says, what do you say we close that door? We can't have any kind of party with Vernon checking us out every few seconds. First thing that comes to mind, NSA. You can't really do much with the government checking out your moves. Every few seconds, like that. I want to throw that out to you guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, I could see them making some sort of uh, anti-surveillance state sort of an argument there. I mean, it's a bit of a reach for a high school teenage <laughs> movie, but you know, it's a microcosm of life. So, I mean, the the, the 
Surveillance state wasn't really around that much back then, but I'm just saying the whole, the idea of it, you being observed by the person in charge changes what you do. Sure. Yeah, but, you know, also this film was shot in uh, probably 1984, right? And perhaps John Hughes was familiar with the Orwell book of the same name of the year that he shot this movie. So perhaps he was playing into that a little bit. Also, uh, that idea has been around a long time. Uh, Jeremy Bentham, back in the 1800s, he had the idea of the Panopticon, which was a prison system where there were uh, basically a, a way for a single prison guard to view um, you know, multiple prisoners at any given time, and the prisoners would not know that they were being surveilled. And he, of course, advocated this not just for prisons, but for schools and for um, people working uh, any, any, anything that you wanted to make sure that there was a maximum level of perceived surveillance. Uh, well, let me, let me, uh, let me just give you a little bit of nuance, just to tiny, add a tiny, add a little bit to what you just said. Uh, the main point of the Panopticon, and you can imagine like a, a central viewing position and then a circle, concentric circles around it. But the point was to have the prisoners never know when they were or were not being surveilled and that they could be surveilled at any given time. Therefore, you wouldn't necessarily have to see them all the time, but they don't know whether they're being surveilled or not all the time, which is basically the same thing as the modern NSA, where we could be being surveilled all the time and right now and how the, you know, WikiLeaks releases all this information, which everybody should know by now anyway, but you could be, but you have the potential to be being surveilled all the time, so you better behave, but you don't know whether you're not, whether you are or not. Oh, I think at this point we, we are, and it's being cataloged, and if, we, if, if they need it later for whatever purpose. Like, just imagine, well, but, just imagine but somebody it's, it's 20 years from now running all the time. Right, but they capture all this data and store it, and they archive it. So also, the government doesn't care much about costs. Right, just, right, but... but <laughs> It takes time and man hours to go back and listen to it all. Is what my point. Oh yeah, no, it takes time and man hours. So what I've heard a few people that know this stuff better than I do say is, right now they're collecting everything, but they really can't use it. Like even if you look at the recent terrorist attack in what was it, the UK, that guy that ran that car into the building, he had been on the government watch list. Like they were watching him. But the thing is, they can't do anything. There's just too much stuff. You need to watch out for is when they get smart computers and AIs and things that can actually go back and analyze all this. Well, it's not even that, Drake. It's, it's, it's even if they don't have the ability to go through and sift all of this right now, if you get up on their radar in some way, like just imagine it's 10 years from now and somebody who you know, is libertarian-minded is running for president again like Ron Paul or Donald yeah, Trump comes up again. Right. But basically, they can dig up any dirt, you know, from probably five, ten years ago till that time. So 20 years of data that they can up somewhere. hone in and focus on. I mean, you saw the, the tape of Trump talking to that Billy Bush guy about, you know, women and, and throwing themselves at him. And, and that became a big deal, right? And that was something he knew was being recorded. Well, just imagine all the things you do in your private moments. I mean... It, it's crazy, you know, and, and how much control and how much power would the holder of that information have over uh, a political system, over well, politicians? And, well, and no, people and, don't ever always forget 
is that the CIA was blackmailing the, I sorry, sorry, was recording and monitoring the security council that's supposed to be in charge of them. Like this, this is already potentially happening. We really have no way to know because every single piece for that level to happen is already in place. Like I would say that Donald Trump's presidency is even the first example of it. And especially his, who, who's it that got fired for the talking to Russia? What was his name again? Or he was the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about. I, I can't Michael think of the name. I'm, I, I try not to pay too much attention to that crap. But yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Flynn sounds yeah. right, but you know, we, we don't care about politicians Good, anymore. I don't know we're, that. we're anarchists, <laughs> but I, I think yeah. it was, but I think it was Flynn. What happened, what happened was we had a conversation and now that we actually had people look at what was said, it was completely innocuous. It was just a talk about, like, they mentioned sanctions when he was talking to this guy. This is a completely private citizen at the time that had no reason to be surveyed, and especially not with information released. At the same time this is going on, you had people in the Obama administration and in Hillary Clinton's team both talking to Russia as well, explicitly mentioning the sanctions. So it was literally just they pulled out information to try to remove power from this guy to disagree with. Right. right. Not only right. that, but um, they uh, – damn it. What was my point? Ah, I just had it. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's to your point. They were able to go back and, and find this information. Oh, yeah. Um, somebody uh, prank called John McCain and what? said that they were some Russian ambassador. And John McCain talks to the guy for like 10 minutes. I don't know the full details of this. John McCain asks the guy to donate to his foundation or whatever for like twenty million dollars or something, and they say all sorts of shit that uh, is is far more uh, damaging than what was accused of this Michael Flynn guy, and so it's just kind of crazy that um, it is so selectively used against people, and it's a political weapon, you know? right? And it's something that that everyone does all the time. And right, it, and anybody it's, it points to the fact that anybody could be destroyed at any time. It's just that they don't have any cause to do so at this point. Like as long as you, as soon as you become on somebody's radar as an, a political enemy, then they could turn launch the nuke, so to speak. Right. I mean, could you imagine what what the Russians would do with this power? You know, fifty years ago, sixty years ago, or the Stasi in East Germany. I mean, there, there's a movie. It's called um, Other People's Lives, and that movie is horrendous to watch because they actually had to physically go out and interrogate people, torture people, get people neighbor to squeal on neighbor, uh, you know, family member to, to rat on family member. They were tapping phones and they had uh, cameras and, and physical things in place to surveil and record people. And that was, you know, ancient history compared to what is capable now. Right. Yep, and I mean, if you look at something like North Korea, they have an even more extreme version where they separate the families, and every week you have a meeting where you have to confess what you did wrong, and everyone else in your circle says what they saw you do wrong, and if there's a discrepancy there, you're screwed. So yeah. You not only have to admit what you do wrong, you have to admit anything you think someone else could have seen you do wrong. And also, because right. you're separating from your family, you try to escape, they don't survive well they yeah and they kill the whole family oh yeah is what they do in, in north korea yeah 
So, yeah, well, so is that Mao's um, struggle sessions? Because, you know, so many people are fans of Mao, but that was one of the monstrous things that he created was the struggle session, which is basically, you know, confess your sins to to us. And, and, it, and it turned a entire civilization inward against itself. Like, I, I, Drake, you're in Japan now. Yeah. Um, but historically in China, and, and I'm sort of talking out of my ass here, but I think that there was a lot of um, respect for elders. Family bonds were actually ra- rather important. But when mm-hmm. Mao started doing these struggle sessions and the other uh, interventions in people's lives that he was doing, um, it didn't take long for people to be cheering for other people to be murdered um, based on these ridiculous, uh, you know, confessional uh, mock trial type things that were going on. And it, it's just amazing to me that, that it takes just this little uh, dose of authority to turn a culture totally against itself. Well, and when you have people that identify with the government and you see any person that is against the government as against you because you identify as with the government, then, yeah, you can definitely turn on your fellow man. Actually, I could see how how many people would hate me. I'm going to take this in a big circle and bring it back to the movie. So I've been reading through... um, listening to some stuff by Dangerous History Podcast and reading through Thaddeus Russell's book, Running at History United States. And they both make a very compelling case that part of the reason democracy has been used in the United States is because when you have a democracy, you have the people say we are the government, so they don't have someone to rebel against. Because mm. you essentially, hey, we are the government, who are you rebelling against? Just do political change. Hey, I voted. I already did my effort to change things and improve people. And then if we look at something like Breakfast Club, you have one tyrant versus a group of people. And it's very, they're not, and because there's no punishment for like them not turning on each other, they're united against them and all work together against them. In fact, having this antagonist united them, which is, I believe it was, yeah, it was Hoppe that said a monarchy could actually be better for freedom than a democracy because of stuff like this. Mm. But it's well, right. just plus, plus, very interesting. Plus a monarchy has a vested interest in maintaining the, the kingdom, right? Like oh, they yeah. They have like a, a capital investment here. And if they just go in and pillage it, uh, it's not going to be worth anything to, uh, you know, they're lit, you know, four years from now, ten years from now, their heirs, whatever. But these... Um, career Although, politicians who get in and out and, you know, they're in for four years, eight years, 12 years, they, they need to extract as, as much as they can in the time that they're there, right? Well, the, the only thing that I will also say, I have one caveat that I disagree with Hoppe on for this reason, is that when you look at the history of monarchies, they also have a very strong tendency to sub, um, subdue innovation, especially things like the printing press. And it's kind of, you had the inklings of the Industrial Revolution pop up time and time again, but kept getting pressured back down. The only time it actually came through was in England because the king lost a lot of his powers because of the Magna Carta and the like. And you had merchants that had a lot of power. So they managed to keep things like the printing press going and not have the king shut it down because he didn't want people to be uneducated. So there is some trade-off there. Just that because the king has invested interest, he has invested interest in keeping people stupid. That's true. And so so do democratic, quote-unquote, leaders. Oh, yes. 
But Drake, I want to, I want to just, for, for, for you, um, if you want to pursue this uh, line of thinking any further, check mm-hmm. out Ralph Rako when he talks about the European miracle. It's like a two-hour lecture, and he basically argues that in Europe there was a power vacuum that was created between the struggle uh, between the various uh, kingdoms and governments versus the clergy, versus the Catholic Church. And because people were able to um, sort of play the two off of each other, that left enough breathing room for the free market to spring into the Industrial Revolution. You know where you should put that article? Your show notes page, which is now at? Uh, that'll be actualanarchy.com slash uh, 16, I think. This will be episode 16. Yeah, you got the slash number thing now, which makes it so much easier to find. <laughs> yeah, good call. That was one of your uh, suggestions. So Yeah, you got to say the number of the episode now so people like know to go there. Yeah, so that's the other thing. <laughs> we're, we're never sure when we're going to post the episode and in what order, especially right uh, now. We're, we're trying to build up a bank of them because Robert's going to be uh, busy for a couple of weeks here soon. So, gotcha. So we're, it's an idea we're toying with, and uh, we do think that having the easier link is nice so that we can refer to, like, say, past episodes, and maybe eventually we'll work up to this. But, uh, listeners, this is a prime example of uh, suggestions and improvements to the show coming from a listener who is now a guest excellent guest and uh, <laughs> talked about the idea of these hats so not that's really the fast thing you can do is you can just record like a 30 second intro saying hey find the show notes for this at actualanarchy.com slash whatever when you actually release it so just mention it in the front with that that's true another okay. good suggestion so thank you <laughs> back to the movie back to the movie okay so she went to the door so when he starts giving out the um, punishment, where it's say one more word, whatever, whatever. He has a couple interesting lines there. For example, he says, now I have you for the next two weeks, kind of implying that he didn't have him before when he could have just literally done this for any reason. So the question is, why did he need the excuse? Why do the police have to say, stop resisting, stop resisting to beating someone? It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. He's literally yeah, like a psychological thing to not put yourself as the, the villain, as the bad guy. It's like you're making me do this as you pull out your belt and you start whipping the people. I don't want to do this. You're making me do this. you always casting yourself as the, the hero in your own story. Yep. Okay. That was I a- think that's, that's part of it, but it also, um, because they're saying the words even though they've lost their meaning, similar to how words we were talking about earlier, um, it's just something that they do so that if, if anyone, any witness were to say, well, did he say, you know, what was he saying at the time? Oh, he's saying stop resisting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess it is more obvious for the cops, but for teachers. Also, part of this I'm going to say is I see it because of the monopoly, because they can just give out these punishments without having any real cost because there's no profit motive. Like, imagine if you were going to Myers and you were buying strawberries and you were kind of like a bit rude to the cashier and the cashier was just like, hey, one more thing. I'm increasing the price of strawberries for $5. You're like, wait, what? Like $5. Hey, stop that. $10. Just kept doing that. I mean, no one would ever go there because there's a real cost. People stopping using your business for the school monopoly, for the police monopoly. 
there's no real cost. Yeah, that's true. And I also think that there's another reason they do it, and that is, um, you know, he was saying this in front of other students as well. So that's true. it was sort of a veil of legitimacy. Like, okay, I said it, you know, and he transgressed against what I said. And then I told him this, and he, he overstepped this line, and these five other or four other people uh, were witnesses to that. Well, you even see when he's on his own, when they're in that cupboard that he says, hey, take a swing at me, start it, go first kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Although, if you look at what sometimes happens in the real world, you actually just see drugs or knives just planted on someone after the fact. So, Right, they sprinkle some cocaine on a guy after he's dead, yeah. <laughs> yep. Or there's yeah. actually, one of the horrifying things I recently was there was a CBS reporter that was a bit hacked by the government. And one of the things they did was they can hack into your computer. So they just put confidential documents deep in the hard drive of our computer, or they could literally just put child porn on your laptop. Those are yeah. It really does call into question anybody, right. Who's accused of anything at any time. Like, especially when it's convenient politically, Yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> this guy's a thorn in the side of this guy. And he just got caught with kitty porn. Hmm. There's actually an interesting case of this. Do you guys know Free Talk Live? I've heard that word before. Um, so they're a libertarian radio show out of New Hampshire, Free State Project. They've been around for, I think, like a decade now, and they do like three hours a night. Anyone can call in. Dara W. Perry's part of it. They're very, they're relatively really big in a lot of actual terrestrial radio stations. They're fun to listen to in the background, but it's a bit weird because literally anyone can call in. Mm. Just call and run that to your program. Um, but what what happened is they were reporting on the FBI because what the FBI was doing was they took over one of the largest um, child porn sites in the darknet, actually the largest child porn site in the darknet, and then they kept running it for months. But what they did was if someone clicked on some links, they would have it install something to their computer. And then they would use us to later hunt them down. Literally, like the FBI was giving out child porn. Right. So, and then sounds, a year, la- and then like a year the, later, the gun running thing with uh, Fast and Furious program in uh, Mexico bringing drunk uh, guns down there. Well, but or here's the cocaine. thing. Yeah, a yeah. year later, the FBI comes into the Free Talk Line studios and takes all their equipment and claims that there was an access of child porn being accessed from their IP address takes all the recording equipment, turns all the cameras away when they walk in, so there's no evidence of them doing this. All kinds of interesting, crazy things. So Yeah. So they could just, you could just, if you're a target, there's any number of ways for them to destroy you. <laughs> yep. Although, let's see, what else is there? Oh, okay, here's a fun one. So they, he brought the marijuana in, they smoked it, and that kind of like put a couple things to my head. One of them being, when did reefer madness really stop being a thing? They started actually showing like realistic drug use in movies. And also the idea of you can't even keep drugs out of prisons or schools, which are a completely government run institution with cops, with teachers everywhere. Literally, they tell you when you can go to the bathroom and you still can't keep drugs out of there. Just the complete failure of the war on drugs and prohibition. In the power of the free market, baby. Yeah. Well, actually, a fun thing we have with, uh, uh, darn it, now I'm forgetting. What's Obama's wife's name? It's... Michelle. 
Yeah, Michelle, um, with her food program that's cost, what is it, five tons of food being thrown away a day and a few million dollars lost a day, it started a massive amount of salt, pepper, sugar, and snack smuggling and black markets in schools because the food <laughs> is so bland and cardboard, and there are students being literally arrested for this sometimes. Wow. Literally, they bring in salt packets, and they're arrested. And also... So, Trey, give, <laughs> give us a rundown of, of what that program she implemented is, just so it, it, we have a little context around this. Um, I do not know the full details, but the rough thing is they had a lot stricter regulation on lists of nutritional values, like lists on how many carbs, how many sugars, how many fats, how many proteins. And what you get from this is weird combinations with schools trying to meet the nutrition quotas, like you'll have shrimp with ketchup because you need this many carbs and this many proteins, or they have limits on the amount of salt, which is salt. Actually, interesting thing, I'm a bit into nutrition. Another hobby of mine, I'm doing keto right now, and it's I'm losing weight, but it's a bit rough. So essentially, the studies that show that salt is bad for you are based off two major studies. One of them was with mice. They showed an increase of heart rates when with salt, with high salt intake. All the mice were taking the human equivalent of around five cups of table salt a day. So not a great study. And the other major study did a cross-culture comparison where it takes like a hundred different cultures, like Venice and Italy or something else like that. And they all plot them and they plot heart attack or heart failure versus salt intake. Well, on that plot, there were three cultures that were kind of in sub-Saharan Africa that had extremely low salt intake and no heart problems because they're still hunter-gatherer kind of communities. And because those three are on there, those three extreme outliers, it skewed the graphs. Otherwise, it actually showed a slight correlation that said more salt means less heart problems, although not enough to be statistically significant. So essentially, the whole myth about salt being evil for you is based upon lies, like a lot of other things. Like they also mentioned the food pyramid in the movie, and if you want to see the progress of the food pyramid since its implementation, also implementation of all the using vegetable oils and things, you've had the whole obesity epidemic in the U.S. happen. Obesity never was a problem until the food pyramid said that Wonder Bread's a health food. And pizza is a vegetable. But yeah. Well, it's not even that. It's not even the pizza is a vegetable. It's that carbs are healthier than vegetables. That's what the food pyramid right. said. You want eight servings of carbs a day. It says Pop-Tarts are healthier than avocados. It's insanity. So Isn't drink that we, we feed um, bovine animals to fatten them up as a little bunch of carbs? Isn't that what we do? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. They've been doing it since the Romans. Like it's People have known this for a couple thousand years, and the FDA is still behind it. Are still either they're that behind the times or because of all of the different groups that get sugar and wheat subsidies, they don't really want to get with the times. You're never really sure which. Yeah, the wheat lobby, I'd say, has a stronger pull than uh, the um, vegetable Confidence. lobby, probably. <laughs> that too. So I, I'm sort of forgetting at which one they referred to in the movie because he says, oh, we've got all the major food groups represented here. So was it was it the food pyramid or was yep. it still the four food major food group thing? Food pyramid. Okay. All right. Yep. We can move on. Oh, also, here's a fun one that, because he was talking a bit about his trauma, a bit of bender, 
talking about how he was beaten in the home, how he had a terrible home life. And that kind of person is one of the main groups that the left wants to help. People that need, that they claim need child protective services, people that don't receive a good education, people with all these kind of situations. It's also very interesting to look and see how completely out of touch the left is people want to help. It's just like, if you want to find a group of people that are politically incorrect, you go into a ghetto. Or it's like, they say, oh no, these minorities' dealings are so hurt. I mean, these poor Mexicans and Hispanics, what will they do about all these mean words? And then you watch Mexican TV, and they have like, they had a midget come out, serve Hillary her, what was, like, margarita. Like, I mean, I lived in Brazil for a year, and they're the most politically incorrect people you've ever seen. Like, they'll just say, oh, hey, Chubby, looks like you're putting on some weight, and just, like, pinch your side. Or I can't even repeat some of the nicknames they gave, like, people in my groups, because they're going to be kicked out of polite society in the U.S., and it's the left claims these minorities are so fragile that if they hear mean words, it'll destroy them when they are the most mean words, even occasionally just straight up racist people around. And it's just they have these left liberals on a college campus have no idea who they're trying to defend. Right. And it's this emphasis on language as being the most important thing and how nice you are and what you say as opposed to what you actually do. Because they'll say, as long as you say a bunch of nice things or say it in a nice way, you can do whatever. And you can see that with Obama continuing the wars and accelerating everything. But he, he said, he said he was, you know, respectful and nice and whatever. And nobody had a problem with him, apparently. Yeah. It it reminds me of that video that was going around a little while ago about the um, voter ID laws and people on the left think that they're somehow racist and oh, so yeah. they did the video where they were recording people on college campus saying oh what do you think of the voter id law and they're like oh it's racist you know people of color aren't as likely to have a, a form of id or whatever you know there are like four or five different questions that they ask and then they go to harlem <laughs> and ask the same questions and uh, they're like yeah of course i got an id i got like two of them or three of them on me and yeah. do you know where the, you know, registration is? Yeah, it's on uh, 42nd Street over there. You know, <laughs> so then then they tell the people in Harlem, like, well, this is what people on the college campuses are saying about you. And they're like, man, that's racist. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just funny. It's funny. You know, these do-gooders going around thinking they're helping, thinking they're being benevolent, but they're actually causing far more harm than they uh, would if they just left people alone. Uh, it's uh, kind of just a ridiculous thing actually on that note there's another great scene um what's his name andy um hits bender knocks him to the ground and then bender says hey i don't want to actually fight you because i'd kill you and he thinks he's joking and bender pulls out a knife so it's a really good example that bender's like pretty scrawny guy he doesn't look that healthy he could probably never take andy in a fight but when he has a knife, that's the equalizer. And if you have a gun, it's an even bigger equalizer. That's why you keep having stories of like old grandpas that fight off someone attacking them or attacking a store because they have a gun because it's this equalizer. And you have this left that's saying, we need to protect people from guns. Let's take away all the guns. And it just doesn't work. Actually, the funny thing is 
that kind of quiz I gave earlier about the difference between schools and prison systems was I was talking to someone and they were saying, hey, and I, I was talking about gun control and they essentially accepted most of my arguments about why we need gun control in general and how we protect people. And then they said, okay, but what about school shootings? And I went through that kind of thing I just said here above and said, and what groups, what areas produce people that are violent, that want to kill and attack people, prisons and schools? It's because you treat students like prisoners that they, they act like criminals and then want to shoot people because they can't change, because they can't get away. They can't go to a class that's more friendly with them. They can't escape. There's also, I'm also a big homeschooling advocate because my parents homeschooled me for two years, um, second and third grade, and I got far more out of those years than the rest of my time in elementary school, and then essentially had to sit on my butt and wait until I got back in, into middle school before I learned anything new after that, because they ended up putting me so far advanced. Well, that was my point at the end of uh, Captain Fantastic, where um, the family ends up going to school at the end, no, and my point was, imagine how bored those kids are going to be for the next how many years. Because they got yep. these like super smart kids that have been homeschooled for their whole lives, and then they go into public schools, and it's just, I mean, they, they probably want to be around peers of their own age. I mean, maybe, I don't know, they don't exactly get into it in the movie, but if they are placed anywhere near their own peers, either they're going to feel like social outcasts, or they're going to be super bored. <laughs> Yeah, although I got lucky because my middle school and then high school had, like, really highly accelerated advanced programs, so they managed to mostly keep up with me. Essentially, I got into sixth grade, and then they started being eighth grade math, so I finally started learning new things. Did you um, feel weird being in classes with older kids? No, and this, this was the whole group came together, and also I was, it was a lot of advanced people that all did it, so it was just a regular mm. advanced class. There was like one of the people that did that, but I didn't. This is my parents because it's a bit harder to socialize in school. It's actually funny because I lived on a boat for two years, traveling the world, hitting 25 different countries. And every single time I went to a new place, I had no problem making friends, no problems meeting new people or anything else. I literally just, for, for someone that was like six to eight years old, no problem socializing. You like talk to adults at a comfortable level, no problems. And then I got to school. And I can't meet people. I can't make friends because it you you don't have time to meet people. Like you're stuck. You don't you aren't allowed to talk. You aren't allowed to do things. It's not not right. a big fan of public schools. Well, right, and they've already got their clique structure in place. Um, you know, generally, like if you weren't part of that school or that system growing up, then all of a sudden you're the new guy. You're the outsider. And you're right. There isn't a lot of time to really do a whole lot of. Um, you know, meeting uh, new people. So, and that sort of played up I, in the movie as well, I think, a little bit, where they, they well, the, have these archetypes of all these people as uh, different cliques. I also want to throw in one really interesting thing about school systems in the world in general right now. There's two main really successful school systems in the world right now that are like the top of the world. The first one's in like Finland, which is where you have a very short day and no homework and kids aren't given a lot of freedom to do what they want. And the second kind is something like Japan or South Korea, where these kids are spending, they're in school from usually about 
8 a.m. to 2 p.m., then from 3 p- 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., then from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then still homework afterwards. So an insane amount of schooling. And in these systems, for example, South Korea, top school district in the world, 95% of their after-school cram schools are all privately run. So like all the kids are in private schools on top of the government schools to kind of improve and get past this. Which is just an interesting side note huh. that how bad the government school system works. Right, so that it's up to the the free market to provide actual yep. or additional education to prepare people for their futures. Although in Finland, you have the voucher systems, so there is some gov- competition even in the government, although still not enough. Right. Um, hey, I'm going to swing this back to the uh, the knife and the um, gun control argument just real quick because we just yes. touched on it. Um the left, of course, loves equality, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. should have the same everything, same abilities, same outcomes, same everything. Yet they're anti-gun. And to your point, and Robert's made this point before, you know, the 38 special was nicknamed the equalizer because, uh, uh, you know, a little old lady or, uh, or a woman could carry it in her purse and some, somebody much larger than her trying to attack her. Uh, it would level the playing field. So it, it literally was an example of equality in action, right? Like somebody's right. attacking you, much bigger than you, stronger than you, or multiple people. You have a gun. You equalize that that situation. And yet they're against this level of equality. I see here. Okay. Very hypocritical. I, I have a fun one. I have a theoretical example for you. So imagine if... We had the left, and they said they were for wage equality, and they said, okay, the way we're going to get like wage, like wealth equality is we're going to take the wealth from all of the medium-rich people and give it to just like a really small group of super-rich so everyone else is equal. Like, Imagine how much they would oppose that just in every single way, right? I mean, that would be insane for them. Right. But that's exactly what they're doing with guns taking all the guns away from the people that are kind of like middle of the road and giving them to the government, police, military, the more just, the most unequal um, fighting force in the world. Like well, if I they love want the rationale. Control, yeah, if, if they want a gun control, start with the police and cops and the, and the military. I mean, what is it? There's a few billion are being spent each year on giving the police military excess gear over 60% of its new gear. Like, it's not even just, like, used stuff that, that they don't have a use for anymore. Insane. Yeah, I think, Robert, you brought up the point that if, if they're in favor of gun control, they're, what they're really in favor is, in is gun consolidation into the hands of, of agents of the government. And no, they, if they gun inequality, then you'll really figure them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and their rationale is always to protect you, right? We're going to take away the gun to keep everybody safe. Here's a really fun example of this, because in Brazil, they have essentially a complete weapons ban on private citizens and, and even most cops, even though they actually have literal wars going on in the ghettos right now with military militarized police with AK-47s fighting against mobsters. But to show you how ineffective even a full gun ban, work, gun ban works, the mafias and the criminal groups in Brazil set up gun factories and are making their own guns illegally in Brazil. Right. Well, it's, it's yeah. really so, hard to work. import a lot of things into Brazil because the tariffs are just insane. Oh, yeah. I don't know, it's, so like, it's like $1,000 so to buy a PlayStation or something ridiculous like that. Nintendo Switch, which I want so bad. I want Nintendo Switch. 
Sorry. I, I wanna, I'm a Nintendo gamer, so I... But Nintendo Switch right now, U.S. current price is roughly $300, and games are roughly $50. In Brazil, I have, a, I have friends in Brazil, so they posted this. The current price for Nintendo Switch is over $1,000, and games are over $300. Now, actually, it was in Ecuador also, and they have similar tariffs. When Ecuador, all that happens is they have a massive market of bootleg games. And the police just turn the other way. Yeah. It was for all Wii games and everything. Essentially, any game that doesn't come on a Blu-ray DVD, they pirate. Because you can't pirate Blu-ray X. It was a bit too expensive when I was there. Like, it was hard to pirate it. Yeah, that's interesting. So so just to go a little bit further down the path of the left and their equality, it does seem like um, many of them would be happy with an equality of misery, right? <laughs> like, their argument is often, oh, you know, everyone needs to pay taxes, otherwise things won't get funded. And, you know, the rich need to pay more so that it feels as painful for them as it feels for me as a middle class person to pay taxes. So their rate must be, you know, higher or bigger percentage because uh, whatever's left over can buy them still more things than me. Right. So it's like they want this equality of misery. And I guess the <laughs> ultimate uh, weapon in achieving that is, of course, socialism. Right. Everyone's equally miserable, except for the apparatchiks at the top. Of course, of course. Right, and that, yeah. that you see that in the uh, percentage-based speeding tickets, I think in, like, Norway or Sweden, where there was some, some rich Nokia guy who got, yeah, somewhere in there, and uh, a Scandinavian, the, like, the, the CEO of Nokia got a speeding ticket, and it was, like, for, like, $100,000. These numbers, yeah. I'm just making no, only about. No, you're about right. I remember what you're talking about. It's something crazy like that, because they thought it was, you know, completely just to, hey, these, these Speeding tickets are should sting everybody equally amount. Yeah, you know I, I do have a I have a confession. I have a confession to make is that in my younger days when I was still kind of left leaning, it made sense to me. You know, it's like these rich pricks are going out speeding, doing whatever the fuck they want. You know, driving like assholes, and they get a ticket. And it's like oh, three hundred dollars. Who gives a shit? But I get a ticket. And it's like, you know, I I can't like do something for for a month. You know, so uh, there's a there's a, a veneer of Hey, that's that's unfair because it doesn't impact them really. I mean, why sh why should they care uh, if they got a bunch of speeding tickets? You know, it's not going to deter them from doing whatever they want. So there's there's a veneer of, of um, legitimacy there in the argument, but Though, well, I would speeding say, tickets are, are not legitimate to begin with. But. Well, I, I would say the the big solution to this, and also I I've heard of speeding tickets are in a legitimate argument before. I sort of agree with it. But I do believe in a privately run road system, you would probably see something like speeding tickets. So, although they probably have much better speed limits. Right now, speed limits in the U.S. are based off cars made 30 years ago that weren't supposed to go over 60 miles an hour. So it's just completely outdated and stupid. That's another problem. Um, let's see, where was it? So the way, the reason that they're correct, incorrect about this is because they're completely focused on criminal justice. They're focused on punishment. They should be focused on victim justice. For example, like how, how do you make the victim whole? Let's say someone, um, this happened to a friend of mine, actually. Um, it was a school principal. One of the nearby schools got drunk and crashed into his back porch and destroyed it. So how do you make him whole? You pay for a new porch. So theoretically, a rich person could crash into like a hundred people's porches and destroy them all and just buy them all new porches. And I'm also like saying throw on like a 50%, hundred percent 
extra onto that to pay for the damages and the time and being scary and all that stuff. But as long as you're making it so the victim is fully compensated, I don't really think it matters that much. Like imagine, imagine if someone came into your store and if you sold plates and they broke plates, but then they paid you double for every plate they broke. Why would you care how many plates they broke? You just keep breaking them all day. They're paying you That's double. That's like a good business model. <laughs> yeah. So as long as you're focused on victim justice and the victim is completely fulfilled, who cares? Everything else just kind of comes like fluff. But no one focuses on victim justice anymore, which just... No, it's all on, out. yeah, yep. punishment, right? Debt to society. Oh, right. so bad. And I, I have one last scene. Now, this one I didn't even write down when watching the movie the first time, but since then I've had some free time and I was reading Stephen Kinsella's um, Against Intellectual Property. Actually, a very short book, very good. And then I was going through his footnotes, and he mentioned Walter Block talking on blackmail, so I finally read his stuff. So I got to talk about the janitor blackmailing, uh, what is his name? Vermin The Supreme principal for 50 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So essentially, Walter Block had a very interesting argument about blackmail, that what, what would happen if you didn't have blackmail? You just have gossips that would just say the things anyways. And, I mean, it's freedom of speech. You can't really stop them. So what's the problem with it? I mean, they could just say it, and you'd be really screwed. Like, imagine how bad Blaze Ber- Vernon would be and fired and all that. But instead, he's given the option where he can pay this guy some money and not have a secret spilled. It only benefits him because if his secret is not worth the money, then he doesn't pay. Secret gets spilled. If his secret's worth more than the money, he pays and he's protected. The only reason that I have a problem with blackmails exist today is because there's no enforcement mechanism. So, like, imagine if I blackmailed someone and said, hey, give me $1,000 and I won't tell about you sleeping with your secretary. Give me $1,000. Well, why do I need to actually keep my word? You can't have a contract and enforce it because it's a black market activity. So if you made blackmail, like, legal, if you could contractually say, like, just a privacy secrecy agreement and pay someone for it, it would work just fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see any off the top of my head. I don't see anything wrong with that. Daniel, do you see anything wrong with that? No, I, I think I've heard uh, Walter Block argue that the blackmailer, that, that system is actually fine. Yeah, I, at best, you could maybe argue that be it like even thinking about spreading it in the first place is morally wrong. But at that point, you'd have to say anyone who just gossips or spread things is also evil. So unless you stop them first, doesn't make like they're even more evil than the blackmailer. So unless you stop first and completely restrict all freedom of speech, it's hypocritical and inconsistent to go after a blackmailer. Right. Right. No, I'm with you there. Okay, I think that's all my notes for the show, just about. Yeah, well, I think we've been recording for like an hour and a half now, Daniel, is that right? Yeah, only half of the promised time there, Drake. You said you'd get us for three hours. You got anything else, buddy? Three hours for the other secret future show. Oh, snap. (laughs) And also, I mean, I could go into more of a rant on like the FDA, how they're the biggest killer in America and all that stuff, but no, I think I'm about good. Yeah, they do murder a lot of people. Well, it's not just that they, 
like keep drugs off markets that what is it there's a cancer drug that one drug they kept off market and that ended up leading death of over a hundred thousand people because they claim it saved ten thousand lives every year after they let it in market and they banned it for ten years. Um, but it's just things like my mom has really severe allergies and she can't buy EpiPens in the US except when we hit our insurance premiums because the cost of EpiPens is insane because the FDA shuts down every person trying to compete with them. And then, of course, you have, once again, the leading cause of death right now in the United States is heart problems and heart failure. And the the whole obesity, whole heart problem epidemic has come after the FDA said, do the food pyramid. And after they said that vegetable oil is good for you and better than, like, butter and lard, which is, now that I know more, completely false. And it just, so many government programs that just have complete failures. Like, if we're talking about drugs, you look at DARE, and they cost $9 billion a year and shown to increase drug use, or just, there's so many. So, in other words, it's your typical government program. (laughs) Yeah. It's just that one happens to kill more. Right, because they deal directly with public health, right? Yeah. Although, also, going back to the gun argument, actually, no, I have a thing for the gun argument that I want to use to actually convince someone left, so it's like I'm happy with this argument. But I might, I don't know, should I let you guys go or should I, I don't know, wait for the next time. Yeah, it's up to you, man. It's up to you. You already, you can leave him with a tease if you want. Okay. We need to figure out a movie that we can do that would have me go through a full debate for gun rights. Mm. Come back. Well, there's plenty of, if, if only there was a movie where there's like guns and shooting involved. Never heard of it. Oh, it would be great if it was a Matt Damon one. Um, Matt Damon. Let's see. Which guy is that again? What does he do? Uh, Goodwill Hunting. The Bourne uh, movies. Elysium. Oh, yeah, the Bourne movies. movies. Yeah. yeah well, but yeah. isn't he also like pro gun control? Oh, big time. Big, big time. time. I mean, I'm not sure I'd have that much to say about his movies. I would just rag on gun control for an hour and a half. No, that, that's the that's the point. The irony <laughs> is is that he goes out and makes these movies. He makes millions of dollars using guns or pretend guns, and yet he advocates for gun confiscation, gun bans like Australia, Australian style. Yeah, like everybody also Australia, me. One thing about Australia's gun ban is it never really got more than a third of the guns, and what people did it is turned in all the really old junky ones, or you got people that turned in literally fake guns made out of cardboard, wood, and tape and got money back <laughs> from the gun buyback program. Like, it was it was an, a failure of a joke. But, That's awesome. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm sure we'll be able to find some movie that we could have you back on to talk about gun control. Uh, there's any number of movies that are feature hypocritical stars where they mm-hmm. use guns to defend themselves against bad guys, yet ooh, they... Ooh. I just thought of a... I think I know a good movie, but should, should I say it here or should I tell you afterwards? Go ahead and say it, man. Okay. It, if if this, it doesn't offend you. I'm so triggered right now. I need to go find a safe space and get some coloring books. Okay. Um, so now I'm pretty in the movie, but there's this guy that his, someone attacked him and or attacked his daughter and then he like went through and killed this guy and destroyed all kind of stuff in revenge um it was taken no no there was lots of he also got taken to court and they like sentenced him 
and he was also like attacking the police, I believe, but they essentially let him off with just like a small bail, and he was just like, this is why the court system screwed, I'm just going to pay this now and walk out, and I'm totally forgetting the name of the movie. Wow, I am failing right here. Yeah, apparently we should have saved this for when we were done with the show, because <laughs> this <laughs> yep. is great content, Drake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to leave know, it there. I'm going to message you the movie when I know what it is. I think it's a perfect movie because of how my gun control argument specifically works. Okay. Cool. Well, it, it shall remain a teaser then. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap up, um, why don't we get some final thoughts just on the movie in general? Did you like it? What did you think of the acting, the story? Uh, are you a fan of John Hughes? All that stuff. Uh, Drake, what do you say? Um, I liked the movie. It was a little bit more, I, I, I want to say like cheesy over the top than I remembered. Like it was just, there were a couple of times where it felt kind of, shallow almost where it was just after they'd all kind of come together and were friends and then Bender goes back and attacks uh, what is it preppy girl what's her name um, Molly Ringwald yeah and he just goes back and attacks them both again just using their own words and it's just kind of it I understand he was kind of like trying to show their change but it felt it, I didn't like how it felt. It felt a bit much. Like he was just, even though all this stuff had happened, he hadn't really changed at all as a person. Like everyone else had changed, but he didn't see anything really differently. So it was kind of everyone shifted towards Bender, but Bender didn't really shift towards them. Right on. Um, I like the realism in this movie. Um, I liked how the nerd was the only one who didn't get the girl. <laughs> Hey, I am um, a very hardcore nerd, and I've had a girlfriend for a bit over, wow, five and a half years. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. You don't need to. You don't need to brag too much. <laughs> um, don't rub it into the neckbeard over there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, watching this movie is a little bit dated. Um, it very much bit. had that '80s vibe to it, which is you'd expect. It's a uh, one of the more you know, this is like the movie that brought together all the, the jock and the nerd and the preppy girl and kind of saw them all as, you know, people that they all have problems and they all learned about each other. And um, it's a little bit uh, saccharine for my taste, a little bit um, all neatly wrapped up at the end a little bit. But, um, hey, it's it's fine. It, it deserves its place in history. Um these actors, I think, went on to have a fair amount of success. Uh, probably RDJ. I don't know. Would you count Robert Downey Jr. as the Brad Pack? He kind of started around that time, although he isn't in this movie. But um, these guys all went on to do quite a bit more work. And uh, I would say that most of them are pretty strong performances. I do appreciate, um, speaking of that food, where Ali Sheedy is making her lunch, and it's she takes the... <laughs> the pimento loaf and throws it away and then she takes the two slabs of like butter and bread and then dumps pixie sticks and then uh <laughs> captain crunch on top and then she eats that so yes. speaking of yes. healthy eating good good daniel what did you think of this movie well i, I remember this movie being better than it actually was i think <laughs> it is fairly dated um but it, it also tries to hit on some fairly heavy issues as far as, like, teenagers would go and being in high school. I mean, 
there's a scene at the end where Anthony Michael Hall is talking about uh, the reason he's in there is because he brought a gun to school. And, of course, everyone thinks, oh, you, you, you know, you're going to kill yourself. And then it's revealed that it's a, a flare gun, you know. So, <laughs> well, he was still trying to kill himself, to be fair. Right, just he's not street savvy <laughs> to kind of understand uh, how that how that would work. Um, he would just get maimed. But uh, there was a point also at the end there where they were talking about, are we going to end up just like our parents? Like, because they were talking about how terrible their parents were to them. Like, they That's ignore them right. or they push them too hard or. You know, whatever, there's there's always some conflict with the parents with each of these kids. And they go around the circle saying, oh, you know, we'll never be like that. And Ali Sheedy's character says, when you grow up, your heart dies like it's inevitable. And that, to me, seemed like uh, perhaps a commentary on the idea of when you're young, you're compassionate and liberal. You know, you're, you're Democrat leaning. And as you get older, you get more conservative and fiscally responsible and all of these things. And I wonder if that was like a comment on that. Like people tend to be sort of Democrat leaning when they're younger. And as they get older, they lean more Republican. Um, I don't well, know. That's the, uh, that's the, that's the, uh, the insult that gets thrown at the conservatives, right? That we don't care. We don't care about the poor. We don't care right. about the children. We don't care about these people because we don't want these terrible government programs. To quote unquote help them. Well, look, I would actually make things worse. I would say that I listen to that and I disagree just because right now if I look at the way people are treated, it has so much changed with generation. Just anything from if you go back to like Civil War times and you look at how many how much kids were beat, like Free children were even beat more than slaves sometimes. Or you go like to the 40s and 60s and people still like had a belt. And now it's just things have changed in a lot of good ways. People are much more conscious of you don't hurt people. You don't take their stuff. It's just the government's gotten worse. A lot of other things have gotten better, but even though the government's just got still kept being worse. Or well, also I now that so. you have Isn't internet, it like- you're not isolated. Isn't it like 70% of people still beat their kids? I want to say Is that it? there was a recent survey. It's, it's something really high. And it's higher in certain demographics than others. But overall, yeah. in the United States, I think it's like 70% or something like that. I know uh, Stefan Molyneux, as much as the problems I have with that guy, he does hit this issue pretty well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he definitely influenced us in how we're um, raising our children. And uh, we're also big homeschool advocates. Our, our kids aren't quite ready for um, school age. But we're already, you know, we went to the aquarium today. So they, yeah, we're unschooling. We went to the aquarium today so they can learn about fish. They, they watch Nemo. We, we talk about fish. We, you know, whatever sparks their interest, we facilitate it. And, and as yeah. long as it's still on their radar, you know, we're like, hey, let's go check this out or learn about this. Or, and, you know, we're, of course, we're in this magical age, right? Where if I wish to have a movie or an educational video or an article about X, Y, or Z, I can conjure it with a magic device in seconds, right? Like the wonders of the modern society and capitalism that has brought us uh, basically just on a whim, I can just say, I want to know about this. I want to see a movie about this. Kids want to see this or that. It's amazing. Well, one of my so, favorite parts has been that you can kind of, you can have a really small niche idea and be okay. 
Like it used to be if you were like an atheist in a small southern town, you had literally never met another person who didn't believe in God. Or if like you were a libertarian in New York, you were completely isolated. Like, But now, even if it's a small group, you can still find others that have had to face same things before you online and kind of read from them, learn from them, and grow a lot of movements. Absolutely. And even, and I also will say, even if nothing else for the, like, beating your kids, how many people, like, a couple decades ago would have even thought of, like, spanking being, like, child abuse in any way? Right. Yeah. Sure. I would say there definitely is a change, although it's, of course, not as fast as you like. I also looked up some stuff really fast. I found the name of the movie. Should I spoil it? Yep. It's what we do. Law Abiding Citizen. Oh, I think I've seen that. Um, it is a very good movie. It's a little bit graphic, and it's also full movie is on YouTube, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that's got um, the 300 guy, right, in the lead? The what? Uh, Gerard something, is that his name? Gerard Butler, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yep, yep, yep. That's the one. Yeah, I've seen that movie. Good movie. Cool. Yeah, we can do yeah. that. Sweet. Also great, if you watch it on YouTube, you can see it up to like 1.25, and it makes it like save. It saved me like 30 minutes watching the Breakfast Club. It was great. Oh man, I remember watching Law Abiding Citizen years ago and liking it, but it's got a 25% Rotten Tomato score and a 34% Metacritic score. That's not wait, good. what? Really? 25% yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, 34% Metacritic. But what? I recently saw Passengers, which was sitting at 41% Metacritic, and I thought it was fantastic. So what do they know? Although, of course, if you hear about the new Ghostbusters, everyone hates it except for the critics. Yeah, yeah. It actually, the the, the third act was terrible, but the, the first two were actually, they had some decent laughs in it. Oh, yeah. Nothing. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to let you guys go because it's like midday for me and I'm going to do things. Oh, yeah, okay. I just looked it up really fast. Rotten Tomatoes, the critic review is 25%. The audience score, though, is 75%. There you go. That's yeah. more like it. Yeah, well, hey, Drake, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Anytime. We do appreciate it. Uh, and maybe on the next one, you'll have your site ready so we can make a, an <laughs> announcement and, and maybe get a little bit of traffic over there. I mean, uh, well, I don't know how many... Want something that I'm one of the people that runs Young Americans Liberty Cincinnati Facebook page, just Y'all Cincinnati, Y-L Cincinnati, and... It's just full of random Liberty posts and memes, and we show off some of our events. We're hosting our fourth debate soon. It'll be the first debate we post and not one of the participators in. So that'll be, I miss it. We do Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, and Libertarians beat everyone else in this mission. Well, very good, sir. Now, oh, I did want to take umbrage with one thing you said. Yes. In your final summary of the movie, you mm-hmm. said at the end that Bender turned their words against them, and he attacked them with words. <laughs> Did I say that? I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm on a leftist college campus, and I am personally culturally from the left, so I have been Just in... Osmosis, taking, yeah. Darn it, no, don't say that. No? no, no, no. You can't say osmosis. It's one of my pet peeves. Osmosis is only oh, water. triggered. That, that's, it's, a, it's, that's a trigger it's diffusion. word. That is a trigger word. <laughs> yes. Osmosis is my trigger word. It's diffusion if it's anything that's not water. All right. So, Robert, do not rape him with osmosis any longer with that word. 
Osmosis. Osmosis. No. Osmosis. Osmosis? Okay. I don't know. Well, thanks. It's been great having you, Drake. It's been great. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. It's a lot of fun. All right, folks, that's that's been our show, the Actual Anarchy Podcast. This is probably one of the crazier ones we've done. Uh, I want to thank Drake, our guest, for coming on. Robert, of course, as always, thank you for being here to, uh, I don't know. You're welcome. Make this thing work, man. This whole thing is uh, its a fun endeavor to do with you, so I appreciate that. Uh, so, again, yes, great success. So, again, everyone, uh, actualanarchy.com and readrothbard.com. Click on any of the Amazon links. There's an Amazon Prime link down at the bottom. We uh, sling um, Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Check that out. Speaking of homeschooling type stuff, uh, you know, and we'll be doing uh, a couple more shows coming up because Robert's going to be gone for a little while. But uh, I think the next one we already talked about on this show real briefly, and that's going to be Ghostbusters. So look forward to that. And uh, bid you guys all adieu. Thank you very much. Peace out. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do